You are listening to the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD, a safe space where moms with Crohn's and colitis connect, explore powerful tools for healing, and transform our lives to thrive in motherhood and in life. I'm your host, Karen Haley, IBD health coach, integrative wellness enthusiast, and mom to three outstanding kids. After having Crohn's disease for 30 years and working as a health advocate exclusively with IBD clients for the last 10 years, I know it's time to bring the types of candid conversations I have with my clients out into the open. It's our time to go on an IBD healing journey and do it like only a mom can. Let's do this. Welcome. Welcome to the episode, Mama. Before we get started today, I wanted to let you know that you can win a copy of my Kitchen Arsenal Preventive and Kitchen Arsenal Cure recipe guide to kick that cold or flu right to the curb before it starts. I love this guide. I love it because it's so important as we're heading into cold and flu season right now. Of course, with the added stress and the added pressure of a pandemic on our hands. We just can't boost our immune system enough right now. These rescue remedies, they're full of ingredients that you already have in your kitchen, but I usually reserve it just for my clients. I'm sharing it with you today so that you can get your hands on these must-have sickness buster recipes. All you have to do to get the guide is leave a written review for the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD on iTunes. Take a screenshot of your review and email it to me. Email it to me at hello at karenhaley.com with the subject line podcast review. And I'll send you your kitchen arsenal preventive and kitchen arsenal cure recipe guide as my way of saying thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for reviewing the show. My email again is hello at k-a-r-y-n-h-a-l-e-y.com. And I can't wait to reward you for leaving your review. All right, let's get into the episode. I'm especially looking forward to today's episode because it's my first interview on the podcast. I love adding in another voice to our IBD mom experience, especially with a subject that I'm not that well versed in, but super curious about. Today, we're talking about sleep, sleep and IBD. What's the connection here? There's so much to dig into. Lately, the whole gut and microbiome has been under a great deal of focus, and that's beautiful because it's led to some really interesting research. One of the areas of focus for this microbiome is how it affects our sleep. I can't wait. I can't wait to explore this and many other sleep-related topics with today's guest. So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's find out a little bit more about today's guest. Our guest today is Dr. William Brim. He's a clinical health psychologist and behavioral sleep expert. He's the director of the National Department of Defense Training Center and has trained over 5,000 clinicians nationally and internationally in non-medical treatments for sleep disorders. He conducts research and has published numerous articles and book chapters on PTSD and sleep disorders. He regularly presents at national and international conferences, has testified in numerous civilian and military courts, and provides consultation and coaching in behavioral interventions and sleep disorders. Welcome to the show, Dr. Brim. 
Hi, Karen. I was wondering if I was ever going to make it on your podcast. Well, of course, you're my first interview. Oh, there you go. I'm glad <laughs> to be here. And I have to tell you, there's one thing that's missing from your bio. You oh. forgot to mention that you have an absolutely fabulous IBD health coach for a wife. The best IBD health that's coach me. in the world. <laughs> that's me. So full disclosure for our dear listeners, Dr. Brim is actually my husband. So I thought he would be the perfect guest to have first on the show. Um, what's really cool, and Bill, I'm sure you agree with this. What's really cool about us is that both of us being in the healthcare field, sometimes I get to work with you on your presentations uh, when it comes to things, all things gut health. And when it comes to sleep, you've actually worked with some of my clients before to help them when they have sleep challenges. So we have this kind of cool thing going where we get to uh, work with each other a lot. And I think it's fun. I come to you for questions about uh, uh, sleep and the gut all the time. Well, I'm going to keep you in charge of sleep and I'll be in charge of gut. And, That's probably uh, the best. Together, hopefully that works out. Yeah. So welcome. I'm really happy to have you here. I thought I would start with just going over the format so everybody knows what we'll be doing today. Okay. So we're going to start with a couple icebreaker questions. These are just some completely fluff questions, totally easy to answer, but I find that they're interesting questions because they will let us know a lot about your inner personality, so to speak. And then after that, we're going to just dive in. We're going to dive in and talk about all things sleep. How does sleep affect IBD? And what I think is interesting is it's, it's kind of this chicken and egg thing, what comes first. So how does sleep affect our IBD and how does our Crohn's and colitis affect our sleep? So what I'd love to do today is get into all of that with you. And then lastly, I'd love to finish with a lightning round, just really quick off the cuff questions that I know people have when it comes to sleep. We might get to some of those during our talk, but just in case, I would love for us to do that lightning round at the end. How does that sound for you? Sounds great. Okay. I have my questions written, written down here. Okay. I don't need to look for the icebreaker questions because I know what those are. Let's get started with our icebreaker questions. Okay. okay. Completely fluffy, I promise. Question number one. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Moose tracks. No cookies and cream. No, no Rocky Road. No. Can I say ice cream? <laughs> all ice cream? Any I think flavor. You did, I think you did all of the Ben and Jerry's flavor. So yeah, that might told, be we're Ben and Jerry's lovers in our house. And they have the great, uh, now they have the dairy-free Ben and Jerry's too. Yeah, they with totally do. Milk. They it's make awesome. it with um, cashew milk. Cashew milk. Really delicious, actually. I mean, I don't have it a lot because it still has sugar in it, but I've tasted it a yeah, couple times. Yeah, you put enough cookies and cream in it, it's good. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't, but you would, right? Yeah. All right. So an eclectic mix of ice cream flavors. So I guess that we, that, that'll tell us something about your personality, I'm sure. Um, okay. Second question. Second question is a yes. No, it's not a yes or no. It's a cat or dog. Cats or dogs? You pick. Dogs. 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 Yes. And of course, I know our viewers don't know that, but I know that because we have a dog. We have a beautiful golden retriever, Luna, who was around here somewhere. Do we have any other pets? Oh, yes. We have a whole house full of pets. We have birds. We have bearded dragons, dogs. We have them all. Yeah. 
And um, I'm sure everybody can see, well, if you're seeing this on YouTube, you can see if you're listening, you don't see us, but we're actually in different rooms of the house. We're not together. What happens when we've done this together before and when we do it together, you get that, um, that echoey kind of noise when we both have our computers. So I'm in my podcast space and Bill is in his presentation uh, space. So we're actually in different rooms, but we're, we're in the same house and we're hoping that the kids are going to give us this time so that we can talk about all things gut and sleep. Outstanding. Okay, so let's go ahead and just dive in. And I want to get straight to the sleep talk, the sleep and gut connection. So when it comes to the sleep and gut connection, I know there are probably a lot of problems that we could talk about. What are the what are the what are the biggest challenges that you're seeing when it comes to sleep and gut disturbances? Yeah, I I think there's there's really no question that reduced sleep causes an almost immediate change in the gut microbiota. Um, there was an interesting study a few years ago where researchers had normal, healthy adults go two nights with reduced sleep opportunity. So they were reduced to only four, about four hours total time in bed. So they were sleeping less than four hours and they compared them to themselves when they only had, when they had two nights of normal sleep opportunity. So about seven and a half hours of sleep, right? And then they took the stool samples from them at the end of both opportunities and they compared the stool samples following each period. And they found that after just two nights of reduced sleep opportunity, there were significant increases in bacteria in the gut, such as Coriobacteria ACA and an increase huh. in uh, firmicites um, that can lead to obesity and type two diabetes. And that was only after two nights of reduced sleep. Mm. And a lot of people that struggle with sleep problems obviously have more than a couple of nights of, of poor sleep. So when, the more chronic that sleep problem becomes, the more buildup of these uh, bad gut bacteria can be. And this is what we kind of call, I mean, you know this better than I do, what you would call intestinal uh, dysbiosis probably mm -hmm. would be the best word, which is just a fancy way for saying your gut biome is all kind of jacked up, right? right? And we know that stress, depression, anxiety, poor sleep, disturbed circadian rhythm, all these things result in a disruption to healthy gut biome. And we know that altered microbiota may affect the function of both the nervous system and the immune system. And that reduces your ability to cope with psychological stress, physical stress. It makes you more vulnerable to stress. And it's clear that poor sleep and gut dysbiosis are correlated with obesity, diabetes, uh, metabolic syndromes, and more important, most importantly, probably for IBD is in inflammatory diseases. Wow. I can't believe how much information we've been able to gather with this whole, uh, all the new research on the microbiome. Isn't it crazy? Like just how many pieces you can connect it to all stemming from the microbiome. And of course, yeah. when, when you're talking about this poor quality of sleep, even for a couple of days, and you're talking about the effects of it on the gut and then it leading to inflammation, that just really makes me think about us, of course, the IVDers, because we're the ones with this inflammation, inflammatory bowel disease. So how does that fit into everything? Yeah, I, I think 
for me, I think of like sleep is like that old uh, canary in a coal mine saying um, when we have sleep problems, it's often one of the first indicators that something's out of balance in our body. Our, 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 right. our sleep, our ability to sleep is kind of like an early warning system. And there are several studies that suggest that poor sleep can be an early warning sign of an impending flare. Um, or subclinical inflammation itself. Like, so before you're even aware that you're having a flare or that there is uh, inflammation, that, that warning signal of, 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 of disruption to your sleep could, could occur. And if you're not getting good sleep, you have a two-fold higher increase of a flare compared to people with IBD who are getting a good night's sleep. Huh. So we know that poor sleep leads to inflammation. Inflammation even like subclinical inflammation can lead to poor sleep. Sleep disturbance. So I'll mention sleep disturbance and sometimes I'll mention sleep deprivation and sometimes I'll mention insomnia. And those are really three different things. Sleep disturbance okay. is when you've just kind of not gotten a good night's sleep or something's interfered with your sleep. Sleep deprivation is when you're not giving yourself enough opportunity to sleep. You're reducing the opportunity to sleep. And insomnia is when you have the inability to sleep, even when you're giving yourself a lot of opportunity for sleep. Right. And all three are known to uh, worsen acid reflux. They can lead to ulcers. Uh, they lead to increase in the risk of fatty liver disease, and they can exacerbate symptoms of lupus and arthritis and may even increase the risk of colon cancer. Wow. I know you and I have had this conversation before. What's more important, getting your sleep or getting or eating food? Because of course, right, you and I would have that conversation. And you know, I hate to admit it to you, but I, it's amazing to me just how important sleep is. It's crazy all of the disruptions that can happen in your body. And when it comes to IBD, those are just massive, right? The, yeah. the inflammatory response, the immune system response, Oh, it just makes me want to go to sleep, get a, get a yeah. nap, make sure that I'm doing it right. Which, you know, sometimes I struggle with, we all do, right. We all struggle with that. Something that has been just kind of going around in my mind as you've been talking is this circadian rhythm, right. I'm sure when you talk about sleep, you talk about the circadian rhythm. So how does that fit into this whole picture here? Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, like, what is the most rhythmic thing that you can think of on the planet? And, and please don't say the boy band BTS or something like that. I don't when, even know what that is. I'm so lost. I don't even know what that is. What is the most rhythmic thing on the planet? I feel like this is a test. What happens the fail. most consistently? The sun comes yeah. up and down. Is that what you're looking for? Yay, yeah, I'm a good yeah exactly. <laughs> See, exactly. Gold it's, star. it's the rhythm of the rotation of the earth, right? That rhythmic rising and setting of the sun. And we'll see how this plays a key role in our sleep and in our health. But this rhythm is so regular and so consistent that it affects nearly every living thing on the planet. The plants orient to the sun, right? Animals, whether they're nocturnal, which means kind of they're, they're awake and active at night, or diurnal like us and awake and active mostly during the day, all have consistent rhythms that are oriented to this rhythm of the sun. Every cell in our body, and this is where it gets really important, every cell in our body has a rhythm, not necessarily a 24 hour circadian rhythm, but a rhythm that's maintained by a, mass, uh, a master clock that's in our brain. 
And this master clock has to be set every day by exposure to bright light or to daylight. Things like body temperature, um, hormone release like melatonin, uh, which helps regulate the timing of our sleep, uh, growth, human growth hormone, which fuels our growth as kids, but also as adults, it maintains our tissues and our organs, which is also key. Plasma cortisol levels, which is a steroid uh, hormone that is key to our body's stress response and helps to regulate our body's um, sugar levels, metabolism, memory formation, and it helps with anti-inflammation, among other things, all are regulated on this circadian rhythm. Cool. And circadian rhythm plays a key role in good quality sleep. When we have consistent sleep, that helps to keep our master clock in tune with our body and keeps all of those, all of our cellular activity um, in tune with our body. I love that. that. And that's such a good explanation because I know everybody's heard about the circadian rhythm, but to hear about how it all works and how when we have a good circadian rhythm, it makes such a difference to our overall health. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you have good rhythm when things are regular, right? Um, when you're hungry about the same time every day, when your period is regular, when your bowel movements occur regularly, um, when you're about, when you're sleepy about the same time every day. Um, I mean, many of you probably wake up about the same time every day, even on your days off, even when you could sleep in. And this is because your master clock is in tune, right? You're consistent with your wake time. You're consistent with your exposure to light. But there's a lot of ways that our rhythm can get disrupted. I mean, shift work is the big one, right? Um, mm. But so is having an inconsistent bedtime and wake time. Um, many sleep disorders and medical conditions disrupt the circadian rhythm as well. You are so good about that right? 10 o'clock every night, you <laughs> bed, and there's me awake. So I know that's definitely something I could work on, right? And it probably affects my circadian rhythm. And I'm guessing that just having IBD alone might affect my circadian rhythm. Would I be right about that? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. And, and it's a, it's a two-way street, I think, between the circadian rhythm and the disruption of the circadian rhythm and IBD. But anyway, that when this rhythm is disrupted, you know, imagine that someone um, out on the dance floor that has no rhythm, it's kind of painful <laughs> to watch, right? I mean, you, you would That know. wouldn't be you, would it? <laughs> you would know, right? This, 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 um, dysrhythmia, this imbalance can lead to a, a range of kind of adverse metabolic effects. It can increase the amount of pro-inflammatory gut bacteria. And the imbalance also promotes increased gut permeability. Yeah. And this is a big word, like this translocation of bacterial uh, components across the epithelium. Um, the mm -hmm. consequences basically of this is th that you have metabolically active tissues that are exposed to like chronic low level inflammation. And that can result in metabolic signaling and disrupted metabolic signaling and then further inflammation. And then you're back to that dysbiosis, poor sleep, stress, dysbiosis cycle, right? Where your, your gut is affecting your sleep, your sleep and lack of sleep is causing you to be stressed out. And that stress is releasing, um, cortisol, cytokines, which are um, telling your body's immune response to turn on and are inflammatory themselves. Right. And then back to that, your gut biome again. And so we get in this cycle that we talked about earlier. And 
it increases inflammation throughout the body and increases the risk of a flare for those with IBD. I have to tell you, it just sounds all pretty grim. It sounds pretty grim for those of us with IBD. Um, you know, I came to this conversation thinking I was going to talk to you about the chicken or the egg and what it really doesn't seem to matter because it's all this cycle that's this endless negative cycle. Yeah, I think Please, it's a, I think it's a two way. It's a two way street. Yeah. Tell me you have some good news. What what where's the hope here? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I. I know, and this happens all the time, it always feels outside of our control. Like, how am I supposed to do something about that? How can I possibly change my uh, gut uh, microbiome? How can I affect my master clock in my brain? You know, you can't just say, oh, you should increase your healthy gut microbes and just kind of go, you know, and just kind of <laughs> imagine it or make Magic it so. It. At least right. not, yeah, you just, at least not directly so. But the good news, I think, is that there are things that are in our control that we can do. And I'll suggest probably a couple of things that have scientific support. One is I more- I know you are my science guy. Well, I and, expect and, nothing less. And I think, and I, but I think one of them is, is kind of more in your area and that's um, that I can suggest some uh, for you. And then um, one is a little bit more in my area. The, and Love you may it. want to talk some more about the first one. And the first one is the fact that some probiotics um, we know uh, act on the enteric nervous system, which is basically essentially your gut, right? And that the, and the immune system and that they can improve your stress response. They can reduce that cortisol release that I talked about um, and pro-inflammatory bacteria, which is a bad thing, right? Um, right? And then improve the gut's ability to make neurotransmitters, which help with mood like anxiety and depression sure. and melatonin, which helps with sleep regulation. Um, the second thing, and so you can talk some more about those, um, those types of things. And then the second thing um, has to do with improving your sleep to the best of your ability. And there are several things that you can do that you have control over uh, in that area. Hmm. Well, um, in terms of the probiotic, I mean, I just have to agree with you that in, from everything that you said even before then, it all just kind of leads up to this. You started by talking about how when even when you talked about that study, how even from two hours, uh, two days with sleep deprivation, it actually impacted your microbiome and the bacterial balance in there. So it completely makes sense that if you take a probiotic, it's going to help with, you know, the whole microbiome and it probably will even help you sleep better. Absolutely and I know, well. I know that it will also help your IBD symptoms. So yep. all of that completely makes sense to me. Yeah, I agree. And, and I would say, just, just remember that uh, good sleep happens when we're healthy and when we manage our stress and when we're consistent and regular with our healthy sleep behaviors, I think sleep happens, right? I mean, you can't not sleep. And for this reason, I think a lot of people take sleep for granted, um, but there's a host of enemies out there that are waiting to steal little bits of our good sleep and, and our health. And even though good sleep happens naturally, I think we have to be a little bit paranoid and a little bit willing to fight to defend our good sleep, right? We, it, even though you will fall asleep, um, if you wanna sleep well, that's in your control. Right, right, that makes sense. 
Now I have to switch gears just a little bit here because in preparing for this episode and this interview, I have to confess, I don't know why, because I knew it was with you, but I just got a little bit nervous about it. Typically it's me and the camera. Uh, I'm doing an interview and it's with you. So I don't know, made me a little nervous. So over the last weekend, I went to our IBD mom tribe, the gut love community. And so I asked them, what do they, <laughs> what, what do they want to know? What did they, what did they want sure. to know about sleep and what questions would they have for the sleep expert? So is it okay with you? If I just share some of those questions, I'll give it a try. Okay. So our first question comes from Maria and Maria says, how important is a good night's sleep when you have IBD? Is it more important for us with IBD than non-IBDers to have good quality sleep? Yeah, I think a lot of that's like what we were just talking about. I think it's absolutely the case. Everyone is affected by a bad night's sleep, right? Everybody has uh, an impact from a bad night's sleep, whether it's an acute impact and it just affects your next day or it becomes kind of a recurrent chronic problem that has longer lasting effects. We know that poor sleep results in a whole host of physical and psychological problems. And that kind of cascade includes inflammation all throughout your body. And as I had mentioned earlier, I think there's such a clear correlation between sleep and IBD that poor sleep can actually predict a flare. So I think absolutely it's important to get good sleep um, and to try your best to have an environment that, again, like I said, where you fight, where you treasure sleep, where you fight for it and you don't just take it for granted. Yeah. So we definitely have to prioritize it. And I can speak from my own experience. I've seen it with clients too, where they just, um, they, you know, that you go through a period in your life that's particularly stressful, or maybe you're a new parent and you're not getting enough sleep. It is so tough. It will always, you know, it always, when I am under that chronic stress, I just know it's going to affect my sleep and then it's going to affect my IBD. And so I have learned over the years to really treasure it. And if I'm even, if I'm going through a time when I can't get the sleep that I need, I make sure that I prioritize naps. I mean, I don't know, you might have an opinion on that, but I definitely will just try to make sure I get enough sleep. You know, sometimes you just have to do the best you can because we're all human and just have to take perfect action, right? And it's important to note too, that everyone has a sleepless night every once in a while. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not unusual to have a sleepless night. And the biggest concern is not to over overreact to that sleepless night, right? To overcompensate for it, right? Or to get worried and add anxiety. Because I mean, who hasn't said, Oh, I got an awful night's sleep last night and tonight I've got to get a good night's sleep, or I'm gonna feel bad the next day, or I'm gonna fail, or I'm gonna have a car accident or whatever. And it's really hard to sleep when you're going, oh my God, I've got to go to sleep right now. Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep right now. That's not conducive to good sleep, right? So you just have to kind of take it in stride. Again, treasure good sleep, protect it as best you can, but don't kind of overcompensate if you have an occasional bad night's sleep and, and get worried that you have insomnia. You just perfectly segued into the next question. The next question comes from Karen. And, Hi, Karen. Uh, and Karen, Karen, incidentally, is K-A-R-Y-N, just like my K-A-R-Y-N. Mm. But anyway, 
Um, Karen is, she has a question about sleep and anxiety. So it's perfect setup okay. for what you were just mentioning. Are there any hacks for restless sleep when you go to bed with your mind racing? That's a big one, right? Karen mentions that she already does some breathing before bedtime and she writes down her tasks, the things she has to do for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. She's wondering, is there anything else you'd recommend for those racing thoughts at bedtime? Yeah, absolutely, Karen. And I'll tell you, first of all, that you were right on track. Um, a lot, one, in fact, I would say the most common concern of people that have sleep problems is, is being anxious or worried. It's, it's one of the most common things we hear either that the anxiety or worry interferes with falling asleep, or you wake up in the middle of the night and, and you start worrying and you can't get back to sleep, but you're on the right track with what you're doing. So what we typically recommend is what I call worry time or what it's called worry time. And that's where you set aside time like you do to, to jot down your worries. And, and people tend to have a couple of different worries, right? They just have these generalized worries about life and things. And, and I mean, who doesn't have that, you know, now, especially, right? So you have these general worries and then you have specific things like, you know, there's something, you know, this person is ill or I have this specific problem or like a to-do list, right? Where I have to do this tomorrow. I have to do that tomorrow. I have to do this tomorrow. And when you're lying in bed trying to go to sleep and you're having those worries or those thoughts or you're making those lists, have you ever actually gotten out of bed and done any of those things? Probably not, right? You just lay there in bed and you kind of ruminate and perseverate on them, right? So Karen's doing exactly the right thing that we recommend, which is make a, have some worry time, set aside time to get those worries and thoughts out of your mind. If it's a to-do list, you know, so you don't want to forget anything, write it down, write down that to-do list. If it's just general worries, set aside some time, go into a quiet room, set your phone aside, tell your family or anybody that's in the house that, you know, turn your phone off and set aside some quiet time and just do a brain dump, get all those worries and thoughts out of your head, right? Just kind of get them out because, and the reason why we want you to set aside that, that quiet separate time is because why do you think as soon as you get in the bed, all those worries pop in your head? It's because that's a quiet time, right? You don't have the distractions <laughs> of the TV or the, the phone or the kids or whatever. And so your mind hates that vacuum. So it all, all those thoughts and worries are going to rush in. So what we want to do with worry time is exactly what Karen's doing, which is set aside time, get those worries out of your head, then do have a, have a routine, have some kind of um, boundary between your worry time and going and getting in bed. So I usually say, do your worry time and then brush your teeth, wash your face, put on your pajamas, do your relaxation exercise outside of your bedroom right? And mm -hmm. then if you're feeling sleepy, go get in the bed. Then the second key is, so all those things, the worry time, the writing things down, getting things out of your head and doing relaxation are great. So my number one recommendation is to make sure you're doing those outside of the bed and outside of the bedroom and give yourself some boundaries, some, a border between doing that worry time and getting in bed. So you kind of relax between them. And then the second piece to it is if you get in bed and all those thoughts pop back in your head, you have, you need to get back out of bed. Don't lie in bed and worry, get back out of the bed, go back to that quiet place. If you want to, you can write them down again, 
you know, do another brain dump and then do another relaxation exercise. And then if you feel sleepy, get back in bed, but don't spend time in bed worrying or else you make the bed a place where you worry mm, rather than so sleep. good. So good. So good. And there were actually a couple of things that um, were going through my mind when you were talking about that, that I just wanted to mention. And one of those is that I bet you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I bet this whole uh, anxiety and worry before, before we go to bed has gotten worse in recent years because we are constantly connected to something, whether it is social media or our phone or the mm-hmm. TV or a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. We're constantly connected to something. And so when it's time to go to bed and we shut all that down, now we're like, okay, mind racing. Yep, exactly. So, right? So I bet that's actually gotten worse. Oh, yeah. And then the other thing I just wanted to mention is that when you said, when you, um, when you can't sleep or you're worrying and get out of bed, right? Go and do what you need to do and then come back. I always remember you saying, what is the bed for? Sleep and sex. That's it. Don't do anything else in the bed. So certainly you don't want to be worrying when you're in bed because then you're going to connect all of those together. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. I think Karen will appreciate that response. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like I said, like I said, it sounds like Karen is doing the the absolutely the right thing. The thing to make sure you're doing is is separate that worry time from the bed. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Okay. Um, Aisha. Aisha says, what are your thoughts on melatonin, CBD oil, or GABA? You know, those sleep aids? Do yep. they work? That's her question. Okay. Um, this is a tricky one. Um okay. My answer is yes, no, and maybe, and not. That's not in order. Look of, at my of, order again. That's not. That's not in order. That's for all three oh. of them. That's for all of them. Oh. Right? So, <laughs> Tricky. So, so, so the thing with so I'll, let me try and take them in order. So, and I think the order was first of all melatonin. So right. melatonin is the one that most people are aware of. So let me briefly explain what melatonin is. Melatonin is a hormone. And our body naturally makes melatonin. The precursor, interestingly, the precursor for melatonin is serotonin, which a lot of people are familiar with as a neurotransmitter that helps to regulate mood um, and is made by our gut, like a lot of our neurotransmitters are. And so if you have reduced... if you have reduced serotonin, you may have reduced melatonin, uh, and that may affect the timing of your sleep. But the important thing is that melatonin is a hormone that is naturally released as the sun starts to set, right, as it gets dark outside. And melatonin is a signaler that sleep is coming, right? It's basically a darkness signaler, right? A sleep is coming signaler. It's not a hypnotic, like an Ambien or something like that, that I I hate to use the word, but like knocks you out, right? That puts you to sleep. Melatonin is not a sleep aid. It's a timing aid. Mm. And so because of that, a lot of people think of it, because a lot of people think of it as a sleep aid, they take it incorrectly. And so they take it and then they expect it to knock them out within like, say, 30 minutes. It doesn't work that way. If you want to take melatonin, melatonin is helpful to make you, to help you feel sleepy when you want to feel sleepy. It helps you with the timing of sleepiness. So most people would take it a couple of hours before they want to fall asleep. 
right? So if you want, if your bedtime is generally around 11 o'clock, then you would probably take melatonin around nine o'clock. And then it just slowly starts to make, to signal your brain to start kind of quieting. And, and, and so, so I would say that if you're taking melatonin, if you're taking melatonin as a sleep aid to like knock you out within a couple of minutes, it's probably not going to do that. Um, okay. But it can help with the timing of sleep, um, it, it especially helpful like for jet lag in particular. Right. Um, but it's not an inert substance, right? So um, it, there are side effects from taking melatonin, even though it's over the counter. There are interactions with other medications, even though it's over the counter. Um, so I always recommend that folks consult with a prescriber um, before they take melatonin. Sure. So that's melatonin. Okay. CBD, um, there's really not a lot of research on CBD. Um, there, CBD can uh, help, and there's some good research on CBD regarding um, helping to reduce anxiety. So if somebody's nice. anxious, it might be helpful for, for, for that. What I can say is that there's more research about THC, which is the psychoactive you know, kind of substance part of marijuana, um, there was a, there's a lot more studies about THC. And we know that it does help people to fall asleep. THC. But it also, yeah, but yeah. it also, but it also does affect the what we call the sleep architecture. There's a rhythm, we've been talking about circadian rhythm, which is like a 24 hour cycle. Yeah. But there's also a cycle of rhythmicity to your sleep as well. And we call that that rhythmicity, the sleep architecture, basically. And we know that THC, marijuana, has an impact on that sleep architecture. It can cause you to have more light sleep. It can affect your uh, REM sleep, which is when a lot of people dream. And so it can affect those things. So even though it might help you fall asleep, it can disrupt your sleep over the course of time. So it's kind of hit or miss. We know less about CBD, but again, it, it, CBD may be helpful for people that particularly have kind of anxiety and, and kind of a, the calming effect of, of that. I'm thinking that if they have anxiety before they go to bed, that's possible. Not that I'm not going to hold you to this or anything, but it's possible that it could then help them um, get to sleep if anxiety is their main trigger. And just as a side note, I do um, have some clients that take it and swear by mm -hmm. it for sleep. So I'm guessing it's probably the anxiety component that's, you know, that's helpful for them. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's a great point. And, and what I'll say is that I said yes, no, and maybe. And, and the maybe part of that is that it can be very individual, right? Just because right. I say, oh, studies show. Well, studies mean that you've given this to hundreds of people and it probably worked for some people. It probably didn't work for other people. And there may have actually been adverse events for some other people, right? right. If these things work for you, and you're taking them right, and you are, you know, consulting with someone about taking them, especially if you're on other medications and things like, or other supplements like that, then they may be helpful for you. And, and, and if they are, then that's great. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, kind of no to them um, by, by any means. And it sounds like specifically with CBD, we just need more research. There just hasn't been enough. More research, research would yet. be, would be helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. 
and it's and it's underway. I mean, there's a lot of research going on, and 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 again, as as marijuana in particular is being legalized, and then there's medical marijuana that's been around for a lot longer than that. There is a lot of good research, right, where they've actually given people, you know, what they call blind research, where the the mm -hmm. the person is getting they don't know if they're getting the real CBD or right. they're getting a placebo, and neither does the researcher. Right. And yeah, then they can right. compare. Like a double blind study, yeah. right? Yeah. Cause a lot, cause a lot of the research right now is just kind of me being given CBD. I know I'm getting CBD and then self rating. Okay. Oh, I feel better. You know? Oh, and so the research okay. is getting better. And, and, uh, but I think there is some good solid basis for, for, cool. for that. Yeah. Okay, and then how about so, GABA? now GABA is interesting because we know even less about GABA, like how it works and, and, and especially what, is the benefit of supplemental GABA. Now, GABA is an amino acid. Um, it's a, it's an, what we call an inhibitory uh, neurotransmitter. I kind of think about it as the brakes for the brain, right? It helps mm -hmm. to kind of slow you down, help, it helps to reduce stress. It helps to increase kind of a feeling of relaxation, right? And okay. so all those things sound good when you're trying to go to sleep, you know, decrease sure. stress, increase relaxation, that should be conducive to sleep. And that's kind of the idea. But again, GABA is made naturally by the body. And what we don't know is, is taking, and, and it occurs naturally in some foods, right, as well. And so, but what we don't know is by digesting supplemental GABA, does that actually go into the system? And is it utilized by the body in the same way that naturally occurring GABA is? Or is it just you're paying money to take a supplement that just goes out the system, right? Gotcha. We just don't know what the uptake is of supplemental GABA. Okay. But GABA, GABA does help with sleep. It does help with relaxation. It does help to reduce stress. Um, mm -hmm. And it's naturally occurring, you know, kind of endogenous to our body. Got it. But again, if it, and, and there is some good studies, as I'm just thinking about it, of GABA, not necessarily GABA by itself, but GABA along with uh, 5-HTP, which is a oh, yeah, yeah. serotonin, um, um, being taken together, being helpful. Interesting. So again, okay. if, if you're using it under the guidance of someone and you're aware of the kind of potential side effects and, and uh, interactions, um, it may be helpful. Okay, Long cool. answer, but it was a great question. Yeah, that, very, very, I, you know very, what? Ayusha isn't the only one wondering that question. I get asked about those three supplements all the time. So I'm well, sure that helped a lot of people. Again, when you're not getting good sleep, it's really, really painful. I mean, people don't think of insomnia as a pain condition, mm -hmm. but I've worked with enough people who literally will say, I am physically in pain because I didn't sleep. And, and if you've had a couple of sleepless nights, or if you've even had a, multiple days of not being able to sleep for whatever reason, or you've traveled and you've just kind of been jet lagged, it does physically <laughs> hurt, right? You do kind of feel achy, right? It sucks. Yes. Yeah. And so it's not surprising that when people aren't sleeping, they're desperate, desperate yeah. to feel You can better. even be like delirious from lack Oh of yeah, sleep. absolutely. And so I think oh. that, sorry, I think that desperation leads people to reach out to anything that they hear that might help. And I think you have to be cautious. Um, there are very few things that we know work 
you know, for most people with regard to sleep. And I can talk a little bit about those, but, um, we're going to get there. I promise. I think think there's a lot of people out there that are, that are willing to take advantage of people that are desperate to get good sleep. So just kind of have your eyes open, do your research and, and work with someone to see what works well for you. Okay. All right. Good advice. So thank you. I have one more question from Jenna and her question is about Ambien. We haven't, I don't think we talked, we we maybe touched on it a little, but um, she says that she's been on Ambien for a while now and she's wondering, is it damaging? I guess, I think what she's saying is it was working for her to sleep, but she's wondering about her gut because she has colitis. So is it Mm -hmm. damaging her gut? Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that? All right. A, a reminder that I'm not a physician. Um, right. and I don't know what the saying is. I didn't stay in a holiday inn or whatever it is last night. So I, I, I'm not a physician. So I, what? Won't, I, don't I, even I know, know I won't, um, <laughs> but I won't talk about, um, you know, kind of specifics. I will tell you that Ambien is a sleep aid um, and it is an effective sleep aid um, for many people. Um, what we do know is that it does lose its effectiveness for sleep over time. Um, so if, if, if uh, Jenna's been on it for a long time, uh, it may not be working as well for her, for her sleep. So you're kind of always wondering, like, is, because Ambien is not intended, is not a medication that you're intended to be on for long periods of time. Okay. Ideally, ideally, people should take it for, you know, a couple of weeks or, or a month at the most. Um, wow. These are not intended for long-term use. And many of the studies have not looked at them long-term use. Lunesta is you another know, sleep aid that, that uh, has okay, been tested for a little bit longer. Um, but again, long-term for these sleep aids is like six months. We don't know. About I was just going to say you and I, we won't mention any names, but we have a friend who's been on Ambien for like 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's not doing what wow. it was at one point um, in, in, in that situation. But with regard specifically to and IBD, I can't really say. What I can say is that um, things like um, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, upset stomach, those type of things are side effects of Ambien. Okay. Right? And so it might be hard to kind of tease those apart. It could be masking symptoms. It could be causing symptoms. Um, and so, so it, it can cause those things as side effects. The other thing I would say to keep in mind is that Again, Ambien is not an inert substance, right? It is a medication and it does have interactions with other drugs or other medications that a person might be on, especially like pain medications and things like that. So I think the best course of action is check with your physician, check with your prescriber. And if you're concerned, um, it might be worth taking a break from from the Ambien or um, finding a different medication. All right. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. This has been so helpful for everyone in connecting the IBD sleep dots. I love it. The one thing we haven't really touched on, and I think it would be valuable for people are just like, what are some actual rituals or tips, like things you could tell us about good sleep hygiene? I guess that's the word, right? Yeah. What, what are some, yeah. What are some general tips that you can give us just to make sure that we're all doing the best we can with sleep? Sure. Yeah. I think, well, first of all, I have to say that the, you know, there is no panacea. I kind of said this before, right? There is no panacea. And these tips that I have to share are not a panacea either. Um, They're not a treatment. If you have a sleep problem, if you have insomnia, if you have sleep apnea, um, those types of things, you need to get help for those 
conditions. These are these these tips are essentially behaviors that good sleepers do, and they may help you with your sleep and with and to have a healthy gut, right? They can help to break that dysbiosis cycle we were talking about. So that's the caveat that I have to give. My first tip is hands down, the most important advice that I can suggest is to, like we said earlier, treasure your sleep, protect mm -hmm. it from all enemies out there that are trying to steal your sleep. Don't take sleep for granted. As many of you know, who have struggled with insomnia or sleep deprivation or who do shift work, sleep is a precious commodity that sometimes you have to consciously protect, right? You have to like put effort into protecting your sleep. Not don't put effort into sleeping, but put effort into protecting your sleep. Right. So let me give some specific tips. And these are, again, these are just tips. These are things that good sleepers often do naturally um, that might help reduce sleep problems. But again, okay. they're not treatments for sleep disorders. If you have insomnia, if you have sleep apnea, if you have another sleep disorder, talk to your primary care doc, ask for a referral to a sleep specialist. Don't just take the medications. If, a, if you go to your primary care doc and they say, here, try Ambien, ask to talk to a sleep specialist first or look for a sleep specialist yourself that can help. Um, you can start at behavioralsleep.org. They have a great provider search uh, tab that um, is just folks that have been trained in behavioral sleep. So, so behavioralsleep.org and use their provider search can help. So tip number one, have a consistent bed and wake time. I can hear it already boring, right? <laughs> no one, no one wants to be told when to go to bed. Our kids don't like to be told when to go to bed, Amen. much less as adults. We don't want to be told when to go to bed and we don't want to be told when to wake up either. But of those two of bedtime and wake time, probably having a consistent wake time is most important. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Having a consistent wake time is key to that circadian rhythm. Cause remember what resets that master clock every day bright light, right? Sunlight, right? So the more consistent you are with getting up, getting up at the same time every morning, even on your days off, get some exposure to light, go take a walk, go sit by a window, get up, turn on lights, move around and let your body know that it's time to set the clock for the new day, right? Get up regardless of when you went to bed. If you had a bad night's sleep or you stayed up late, don't sleep in. It will mess up your clock. You'll feel worse over time, kind of that jet laggy feeling all day. Save up that sleepiness so that you are more likely to be able to sleep well the next night, right? The more consistent you are, the better you'll feel and the more in tune every cell of your body will be. Got it. That was tip it. number Your two. <laughs> want, want another tip? I got all, I got lots of tips. Do you want another tip? I'll give you another tip. Yeah, absolutely. Give us as many as you will. I kind of alluded to this already when I talked to Karen. Have a wind down time before bed. I know, again, I can hear it already. Boring, right? Today, too many of us rush around doing a thousand things, doing chores, checking email, doom surfing on social media. And then we realize, yeah, I just heard that a couple of weeks ago. That's oh, thing. I love it. Um, and, and so we're, we're kind of caught up in all these activities and then we realize it's time to go to bed and we're like, oh my God, it's time to go to bed. And I have to right. kind of run and we dive into bed because it's, you know, it's bedtime. 
we don't pay attention to our body. And, and when our body says it's sleepy, we pay attention to this external thing, time, and say, oh, it's bedtime. I have to go get in bed even if I'm not sleepy. Good sleep unfolds naturally when you're sleepy. And it's hard to be sleepy if you've just been running around and you're all physically and emotionally wound up. If you have to shoot, if you have a bedtime that you're shooting for, then why not have a wind down time that you're shooting for? It doesn't have to be that long. It can be very simple. Brush your teeth, wash your face, put on your pajamas, do some kind of, spend a few minutes relaxing, do some light stretches, do some breathing exercises, do meditation, read a book, limit your screen time during this wind down time. And when you feel sleepy, get in bed, listen to your body. Don't get in bed when you're tired. If we did that, we'd all get in bed every right away. Um, don't listen to your body. And, and when you're sleepy, go get in bed and then allow yourself to fall asleep quickly within about 10 or 15 minutes. So that's my second tip. Okay. Got any more? I do. Tip number okay, three. We'll take another one. You already taught, you already took uh, the, some of the excitement out of this one, but you won't say this one's boring because this one is the bed is for sleep and sex only. <laughs> Right now, I have your attention. I didn't know you were right. going to say that. Sorry. <laughs> well, of course, yes, you had to know that. Yes, it's been drilled into me. Right. Um, seriously, I mean, you, you, we have. You, you said it, and we've had, we've heard this before, right? The bed is for sleep and sex only. And I'll add that sleep should only happen in the bed, right? The bed is for sleep, and sleep is for the bed. Sex can happen anywhere, right? But <laughs> but sleep is for the bed. We get into this habit of doing too many things in the bed besides sleeping, right? And when that happens, the bed becomes a place where we do everything but sleep, right? It becomes a cue for activities besides sleeping. It can be watching TV, it can be reading, it can be doing work, um, looking at the news or looking at social media. Um, most commonly, it just becomes a place where we become frustrated and, and anxious. Right. And if you've ever been exhausted and gotten in bed and turned off the lights and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get in bed and you crawled into bed and then suddenly you were all of a sudden weren't sleepy because your mind right. was racing with hundreds of things like we were talking about earlier. Um, this is a good sign that your bed has become paired, right? It's become associated with the bed has become a cue for being anxious and worried and awake instead of being sleepy and going to sleep. So um, we, and like I said earlier, you usually don't get out of the bed and do those things. You don't do anything about those things you're worrying about. You just kind of sit there and you toss and you turn and you get frustrated and the bed becomes yeah. that place where you feel anxious. So um, if you do feel sleepy, what's interesting is that if you do feel, if people do get out of bed, they often go sit on the couch and then they fall right to sleep, right? If, yes. you, if you've ever done that, right? You can't yes. sleep in the bed, then you get out of bed and you go downstairs or you go to you know, the other room and you sit on yes. the couch and you're instantly falling asleep. Why that's the best, that? that's the best proof ever, right? That the bed has become associated with being uh. awake and worrying and the couch has become where you go to sleep, right? <laughs> You know, yep. if you ever needed more, more proof, then you've made the couch where you sleep and the bed where you worry, right? Yes. So only sleep in the bed. Don't treat your bed like a couch and don't treat your couch like a bed. Always stick to, you know, sleeping Good in the bed, stuff. right? And yep. this one is, this one's really a common issue that comes up with a lot of people with medical concerns too. So it's kind of related to that. So I want to mention okay. that what if we have to get up to go to the bathroom during the night? Yes. Right. Oh, I forgot to ask that. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. 
and the same thing applies. And that's why I bring it up at, at this point, right? Because the same thing applies. If you get up to go to the bathroom in the night and you're sleepy after you go to the bathroom, you're sleepy getting, you get back in bed and you go back, back to sleep. That's great. Right. If that, that's perfect. But if you don't go right to sleep, get out of the bed. Don't just lie there trying to make yourself sleep. Don't try and like force yourself to sleep. Don't stay in bed worrying about going back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Get up, go sit on the couch, relax, do something boring, but don't fall asleep on the couch. If you start to feel sleepy sitting on the couch, get up and go get back in the bed, right? And if you get in the bed and all of a sudden you can't sleep again, then you might want to think about going back to the couch and doing something boring until you feel sleepy again. And you may repeat this pattern and you may end up having a bad night's sleep, right. but what are you going to do? You're going to save that sleep, that sleepiness up, and you're going to have a better night's sleep tonight. Makes sense. Yeah. And then finally, I'll just mention really quickly my last tip, and that's related to your your bed and your bedroom, right? Your bed and your bedroom should be a refuge, right? And I don't mean like an animal refuge where you have a (laughs) bunch of exotic animals like we do or or even house pests in your your bedroom. Your bedroom should be quiet and peaceful, right? And by quiet, if you're you're in an environment where there's a lot of noise, then um, a, a white noise maker or a fan would be okay. Because what you want with noise is something that's um, consistent, right, in volume and tone. It doesn't change. Uh, It's just kind of really steady, right? Um, You don't want to use a TV to fall asleep because, again, that's associating, that's using your bed as a couch, right? Plus, the TV, the volume goes up and it goes down. And if you have it on a timer, it shuts off. And all those changes in noise can disrupt your sleep right? So a noisemaker, a, a fan, that's okay. It should be cool. It should be dark, right? Our body temperature is naturally decreasing as we sleep. And if your body can't cool down because the room is too hot or your covers or your bed kind of hold the heat in, your sleep will be disrupted. So make sure that you have a nice, cool, dark bedroom and a good, comfortable mattress is helpful, right? Don't get, um, you know, don't worry about, you know, you don't want a mattress that's too hard or too soft. You want one that's comfortable for you. Um, and I guess I would say don't get hung up on the mattress thing. A lot of people have this in their mind that they have to sleep in the bed, in their bedroom. Um, and, and I often say, um, if you're more comfortable sitting up slightly, say in a recliner because of either chronic pain or overweight or any of those kinds of things, that's fine as long as you can sleep there undisturbed. You know, where okay. is your best sleep, right? But all these things, if you don't sleep in the bed, all the same rules apply to where you do sleep. You can sleep on the couch if you want, but all the rules apply to the couch. That should be where you sleep. That's only where you sleep. You don't do anything in there. It should be quiet. It should be cool. It should be comfortable. And you don't hang out there except for when you're sleeping. That's just your sleeping place. So those are my tips. Got it. Love it. Those tips are fantastic. I I think that they're apropos for everybody, right? They're perfect. Yeah, that was a perfect way to end it. I have a quick lightning round for you. This is just yes or no. If you feel like you want to add a little bit to it, you can feel free. And actually, I have 10 of them. I think we're going to end up skipping some of them because you already answered a lot of these that I had put in my lightning round. So number one, okay, this one you didn't answer. Power nap or snooze fest for IBDers. You know, that means like power nap, like you know how most people 
can do like a 10 minute power nap and they say that's best for them. But for IBDers, can we do a snooze fest or is it still best for us to do the power nap? Yeah. Um, I usually say with regard to naps, my short answer is um, naps are fine unless you have a sleep problem. If you have a sleep okay. problem and you're using naps to compensate for that sleep problem, all you're going to do is exacerbate that sleep problem, right? So I, so when patients, when I work with patients or clients who have insomnia, no napping is the rule while they're in, while they're in insomnia treatment. But as far as getting good sleep for people with IBD, if you're not having insomnia, a nap is great. And I usually say, I usually recommend both either a power nap, if you have like less than half an hour or so to sleep, then take a power nap, keep it to 10 to 20 minutes, right? Otherwise, uh, take a two hour nap, right? And that has to do with that rhythmicity that I talked about when we sleep. If you've ever kind of fallen asleep and you intended to take like a 10 minute nap, but you woke up after like an hour and you kind of felt sluggish and slow and you couldn't really get oh, yeah. started again, right? Yep. That's because you woke up when you were in deep sleep and if you let yourself take a nap for like an hour and a half to two hours, you'll be back to kind of, you'll wake up in lighter, in a lighter mm -hmm. stage of sleep and you won't wake up feeling kind of all sluggish and things. So I recommend 10 to 15 minutes or 90 to 120 minutes. Okay, cool. Um, you, I think you mentioned this one, noisemaker. You said, yes, it's okay. Yeah. Noisemakers are okay. I always consistent, wondered about that. Consistent in tone and volume. Yeah. Okay. Um, are over the counter. We talked about the supplements like separately, but I keep seeing these supplements like sleep aid supplements, not medicine, not medicine, but supplements at the health food store where mm -hmm. they'll have melatonin and GABA and I don't even know what else, but all, you know, a myriad of sleep aids in mm -hmm. them. Yes or no? No. No. Okay. <laughs> um, natural light alarm clock. Yes or no? If that is that if that if that's good for you, then and that helps you wake up feeling refreshed, I think it's okay. There's no evidence that they're any better than an, any other kind of alarm clock. Okay. Um, is TV in bed okay if you have the nighttime lights? Did you know what I'm talking about the orange light? Yep. The, yeah. Is yeah, that okay? No. 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 And I, and I know this just, is a yes or no, but I have to hear more because you know I do this. Yeah. It, it, so the problem is not. So there's two issues. Uh, the blue light part. Everybody got excited about the blue light. Screens emit this light that's in the blue range, and we know that blue light suppresses melatonin. And we talked earlier that melatonin is supposed to be signaling you that it's time to be sleepy, right? So if you have blue light that's suppressing melatonin, then it's gonna make you not feel sleepy. And the reality is that that's true, but the reality is that the dose of blue light that you would need to suppress your melatonin enough to cause a problem is probably not the most powerful thing. The most powerful thing is what you're doing on that device, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're watching a TV show and you're getting caught up in it, that engagement, that kind of cognitive arousal, that mental arousal of that activity, if you're playing a video game on, on, you know, so does blue light suppress melatonin? Yes. But probably the more, the bigger problem comes from the activity you're doing on that device than from the blue light. A lot of people feel like they have to fall, I have to fall asleep to the TV. Uh, but you will find in the long run that 
watching TV on the couch in your living room. And then when you feel sleepy, going and getting in your bed will help significantly in the long run. Do it elsewhere. Yeah. yeah got it. Okay. Don't um, treat your you bed as a couch. <laughs> you mentioned about being, you can prop yourself up. I think you said if you're overweight or something else you mentioned. Um, yeah, people with it's reflux. Okay to prop yourself. Um, that, yeah, yeah, but specifically for IBD, we're talking about heartburn and reflux. Mm-hmm. So chronic okay. pain as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned chronic pain. So okay to sleep uh, to sleep up, you know? Yeah, I, I, again, I think if you're comfortable and you're able to maintain quality sleep in that position or in that recliner or whatever, then sure. I mean, I, I think absolutely. But again, I would try and be in, as consistent as possible. That is your bed. So you're consistent with getting in there. You're consistent with getting out of there and you don't do anything in that recliner or chair or whatever um but sleep okay got it um <laughs> sleep number beds they tout and i'm and i don't mean to pick on sleep number beds but all the beds that say you're gonna have the best night's sleep ever if you choose our mattress i think you touched on this earlier but not really anything to that yes no what do you think find what's comfortable for you okay and if that's a sleep number bed then go for it and if that's whatever sure. Sure. <laughs> sleeping I, on the I would floor not go like out. they do it in some other country then that's all good too if i had insomnia i would not go out and buy a sleep number bed believing the gimmick that it's going to cure my insomnia comfort is great yes, and if a sleep it. number bed is what makes you comfortable that's great um but sleep number beds cooling beds cooling pillows heavy mattresses heavy comforters you know all these things are mostly gimmicks uh, at least as far as helping you with a sleep problem. Pick the one that's best for you, sounds like. Okay. Um, is it true that we shouldn't eat two hours before bed? You know, I, ha- I think about this because of IBD years and our food and our gut. Stop eating two hours before we go to sleep? Yes, no? Um, yes, I think... I- Part of what regulates our circadian rhythm besides bright light is eating of our meals and the timing of our meals. So yes. I would say what's more important is being consistent in your, in your eating. Um, and if having a very light kind of thoughtful snack a couple of hours before bedtime helps you to feel a little more drowsy or as part of your kind of evening wind down time, then I think that's okay. But I would certainly not eat a heavy meal right. within a couple of hours of going to bed. Okay. And along with that, things like eating or drinking things to make you feel drowsy. Is it a wives' tale? Drink milk, more milk. I think it's more milk can help you go to sleep. That's a bad thing for us with IBD because oftentimes milk is inflammatory. So yes, yeah. no. I never argue with uh, wives, old or, <laughs> or otherwise. So, um, so yeah. So I, Find something that that is comforting to you. That's part of your wind down time. And if that if you're able to tolerate milk and that's something that feels good to you, then sure, do that. Um, a, a, a nice relaxing uh, non-caffeinated you know, herbal tea is a great. Yes, suggestion. I was. Good. I'm a big advocate of tea. I think tea can help you wind down. I love a chamomile yeah. tea before something that's something that's sleep. non-caffeinated that you can make a part of your routine. And then again, if if one of the things that you think is waking you up in the middle of the night is you're you know really hungry or something, and you think a a, a light healthy snack might be helpful, then I think a thoughtful healthy snack uh, before bed is fine. 
Um, I'm going to skip my last one. I had one last one, but I can answer it myself. See, I learned on this podcast here. Is it true that if you're having trouble sleeping, you should get out of bed? Yes. The answer is yes. Get out of bed. And then when you're sleepy, then you can get back in bed. How did I do? Perfect. (laughs) Awesome. Oh my goodness. It has been such a pleasure, a joy. You know, I love working with you. So any excuse that I can have for us to work together. I love it. So thank you so much for being my first uh, podcast guest. Thank you for having me. We, I feel like we've only just begun. We've only scratched the surface here. So we're going to probably have to have you back again. I'll gather more questions and you know where to find me. Hopefully you'll join us again. Thank you, Dr. Bill. (laughs) Good night. Uh, Thank you so much for being here, for spending this time on the Cheeky Podcast for Moms. Thank you for just sharing this space with us today. Until we chat again, I'm going to wish you a cheeky and healthy, if I could clear my throat, IVD journey. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining me today and for listening to today's episode. When it comes to IBD, I know there's a lot of resources out there, and I'm truly honored that you chose the Cheeky Podcast to get your IBD information today. If you found this information helpful, please give us a rating and review. It helps other moms find the podcast and see what we're doing over here to help IBD moms everywhere. And if you feel called to do it, share this podcast with an IBD mom who you know could really use an uplifting message today because that's what we're all about over here at the Cheeky Podcast. One last thing, if you're still with me, and if you are, you're definitely my kind of gal. We have to get to know each other better. If you're tired of living on the hamster wheel of IBD with all the ups and downs between flares and remission, if you're struggling to get control of your abdominal pain, gas, bloating, diarrhea, and other troubling IBD symptoms, Go to my website, it's karenhaley.com, and my mom had to be just a little bit different, spell my name with a Y, so it's K-A-R-Y-N-H-A-L-E-Y.com, and schedule your very own free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting session with me, where we discuss the challenges you've been having, we set goals to help you move forward, and we talk about how we can work together to help you get your life back. It's a power-packed 30 minutes. You don't have to live in IBD status quo. There's so much that can be done to transform your life so you can thrive in motherhood and thrive with IBD. I've seen my clients walk this path and it gives me so much joy to take that journey with them. My entire coaching practice is run online so you never have to leave your house and you never have to get out of your jamming or yoga pants for us to work together. You know I'm wearing them too. If you're ready to take your first amazing step towards healing, I'm ready to chat with you. Schedule your free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting sesh today at karenhaley.com. Click on the work with me tab and I'll see you soon. It's important to note that the information in this podcast and in this episode is for general information purposes only and not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. The statements made in the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD, either by me or my guests, is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Before implementing any new treatment protocols, do yourself a favor and consult your physician first. 
Thank you so much for listening, for being here, for saving this space for us to spend some time together. Until we chat again, I'm wishing you a cheeky and healthy IBD journey.